Today, we have two for one, actually three for one, because you're getting three of us on the podcast. We're talking with Tim and Wendy, and both of them are professors, Rocky Mountain University, and we're going to be talking today just about so many fun things about the academic setting. So welcome to this episode of The Missing Link for SLPs. Welcome to this episode of the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. I am so glad you're here. This episode is part of the series of Real Talk, and the series highlights real conversations with real SLPs about real topics of conversation in our field that are honest, open, raw, and very authentic. We are glad you're here. Be sure to visit our website at freshslp.com where you will find more podcasts and more blogs and leave a comment. We'd love to hear your feedback about what you're hearing, what you're listening, and what your thoughts are. Glad you're here. Welcome to this episode of the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. Today, we have three for one. Sometimes it's me, sometimes it's a guest. And our guest brought along another guest today. So this is going to be fun. And I don't know anything about Wendy. So we have Tim, who's going to give us a brief intro. And then Wendy, who's going to jump in. Partner in crime, I think you said, Wendy. That is correct. Pretty much. This episode is just going to unroll for all three of us. So, Tim, tell us who you are, and then Wendy, tuck on in. Uh, if I go first, Wendy's going to overshadow me because she has much more extensive <laughs> credentials. But uh, my name is Tim Stockdale. I work as a clinical educator primarily at Rocky Mountain University of Health Professions. I also uh, co-teach dysphagia, done a lot with the curriculum in that And my background is uh, a good split of acute care facilities and uh, in clinical education. Before here, I worked at the University of South Florida and just um, several acute care facilities. So that's pretty much me in a nutshell. But you also are doing, you started, I read in your bio, because I do have your bio, that you're working on your clinical doctorate. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got a little less than a year left. I'm working on an SLPD at Northwestern University and am hoping to design a descriptive study to look at normative data for fees. But we'll, that's, that's the aspiration, at least. Excellent. We'll ask you about that later because that's actually something I'm personally interested in. Oh, cool. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the fun thing about our field. It's just it's we're always learning and there's always things to learn and things to teach. Wendy. I'm Wendy Chase. I'm the director of clinical education here at Rocky Mountain University of Health Professions. Uh, As you know, this is a fairly new program. Uh, We're about to start cohort five. So before this, I was at the University of Connecticut in the same position. Uh, I'm happy that Tim is doing his SLPD at Northwestern because that's where I graduated from. (laughs) So keeping it in the family, which is nice. Uh, And I worked for about uh, 22 years before I went into academia, and my specialty is in uh, working with patients uh, with uh, trach and or vent dependency. So I spent most of my time in a long-term acute care hospital inpatient acute rehab um, during my working days uh, on the floor. You don't work now at all. Because I don't work now at all. No, no. This job doesn't doesn't give me any challenges whatsoever. And I'm working on my PhD in uh, health professions education. Good. Before I came in for, you know, I have two other sisters who are speech pathologists. Oh, and wow. one, 
One of them said, oh, when I applied for the professorship position, she said, oh, it's just a piece of cake. Just a job. <laughs> and, oh, great. I yeah. could, you know, I've been in the field for 25 years. I would just yeah. love to relax. It is not an easy no. job. Nope. Hardest job I've ever done in my life. Me too. But really, really worth it because these students are awesome. And the things we get to teach them today are are yeah. so many, so much more different than the things we got to teach them back in the day. Well, Right. And that's why I have this podcast on the website because it's just, I don't know. It's, to me, this is my legacy paying it forward oh, cool. to the students as they come behind. So excellent. Would each of you please share your story on why you became a speech language pathologist? Hmm. Okay. Um, really quick. Can I ask for permission to be myself? Because <laughs> that's, a, that's a heavy request. Um, I don't have that exciting of a story with that. I've done several things. Uh, I sold real estate for a little while. I've had my own business in some other areas. Um, I really wanted to be in a helping profession like many of our colleagues. And I wanted to do something that made me, that made me feel cool. No, I don't know. I don't know. So I, I shadowed, um, I shadowed speech, but some speech pathologists for a while, and I was like, "This is all right." And then I shadowed in a hospital and saw um, someone doing a, a modified barium swallow study, which I just thought was really cool. The uh, this type of diagnostic test where you're, you know, you know, you're in a radiology suite, you're working with airway protection and a number of other things, of course, and it just, uh, it really clicked. It really clicked, and so. From that point, I just was very interested in dysphagia management and have tried to uh, really pursue that niche for a long time. And I love it. I love it. Excellent. That's a good story. I do not know of any other speech pathologist who started out selling real estate. Guaranteed. Oh. <laughs> you know, I had a CF supervisor who wanted to be an accountant in the worst way. And if she hadn't been a speech pathologist, she would have been an accountant. I don't, it's like, really? <laughs> Those are like opposites. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I got into speech pathology because um, my mom was a teacher mm -hmm. and I knew I wanted to be a teacher of some type, um, but I didn't want to be a classroom teacher and a, a very good friend of hers who I babysat her children was a speech pathologist and she was one of the most admired people in my life. Um, I felt that she was just the epitome of cool, uh, smart, um, fun, um, creative. Uh, and I really admired who she was. Um, and I didn't really commit to speech pathology until later in my college career. So I didn't go into college thinking that's what I wanted. Uh, I tried education a little bit and, and, uh, and then I, uh, I switched over and, and started on the communication disorders side and it's just, um, it just clicked. It just clicked. Uh, so many different things to do. Uh, mm -hmm. So many awesome opportunities. You could do so many different kinds of things with it. And then of course, you know, 22 years after my career started, I got to come back to teaching um, as well. So 
full circle all the way yeah. around. Sounds like you guys have a lot of fun because you've used the word cool several times. <laughs> Other words that are normally not sprinkled with the description of a speech pathologist as well, but happy to embrace those uh, no. features. Speech no. pathologists are some of the coolest people in the world. And I think that's that's important for students to get that. You join a, a group of people who can really do very, very meaningful things in life. One of my favorite things about being a speech pathologist is hanging out with other speech pathologists mm -hmm. because, oh my word, do we have fun. I hung out with somebody, gosh, a few days ago, and she is Dr. Anita Kazan. She just received the Lifetime um, Achievement Award for Minnesota Speech and Hearing. That's she was rolling on the floor laughing because she'd say, well, I've never heard anything come out of somebody's mouth like that. And it's, it's speech pathology stuff. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's talking well, about stuff, form and, and voices and, and, and all sorts of fun things. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely, we have fun with it. I find that when you're passionate about something, you don't want to, you don't want to isolate it from your personality. You know, you want to harness that passion. And, and when you're passionate about something, you get excited, you laugh and you make jokes and you talk about it with other people. And I think that's really important, not only for us to kind of enjoy that in our own mm -hmm. lives, but also to, you know, set an example of that for our, our students. So they uh, catch that same passion too and realize they're doing something that they love and, or they can do something that they love mm -hmm. and, um, you know, and not have to uh, lose their personality in it. Would you say that's been one of the successes of your careers? One of the reasons why you've succeeded? Oh, um, it's probably How would it's probably a mixed bag. I think it's like a razor's edge where I've succeeded some because of it. And I've also fallen flat on my face because of it, depending <laughs> on where I am. And, uh, you know, if, if places have like, or if people have the same sort of philosophy, which really I find SLPs to be very passionate about what they do, uh, caring for the people they they work with, of course, and and overall just just really awesome people. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, I think it's it's worked to a benefit a lot and to develop to develop that sort of camaraderie that allows people to uh, learn from one another. You know, stand on each other's shoulders and not have to reinvent the wheel throughout everyone's career and really just kind of. Um, kind of uh, ignite each other has been uh, very, very helpful and has, has been something that I've really loved embracing as part of my career. Any thoughts? I think, uh, I, think I, uh, I have definitely benefited from keeping uh, an, an attitude of joy in doing the job. Um, people respond to that. Your patients appreciate it mm -hmm. uh, a lot. Um, I think the students appreciate it when I'm teaching. I think colleagues appreciate it. Um, Open-mindedness and, and joy are probably the two keys uh, to success for, for most of us. Um, that and the fact that we call each other the nerd herd oh and have very geeky conversations about speech stuff and occasionally shoot Nerf guns at one another around the office probably is what keeps it going. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, if you could see what I could see, <laughs> um, Wendy loves Diet Pepsi. Um, she loves it. And so I, I planted them all over her room and she has this mannequin of a baby for teaching, for teaching. It's, you know, it's a medical teaching model and it is embracing a diet Pepsi. It's got one arm around it. And that, that's what I'm looking at right now. On my bookshelf. Yeah, that's right. Right. But, you know, between the optimizing cognitive rehabilitation book and <laughs> underneath the uh, uh, assessment of communication disorders. So it's going to be a smart, but, uh, smart trial. Good books. Smart Maybe thing. you guys can take a picture and we can put it in our show notes. People oh. love to have. There we go. We might. We should probably do that. That would be fun. That would be fun. Yeah. You put it on yeah. the web with your um, with when you download. Yeah. So, what is the secret to? I'm trying to think of how I want to word this question. You guys are refreshing. You guys are fun. You guys enjoy what you're doing. You and can say hip and cool. That's okay. And cool. <laughs> say that about Tim. I'm old, so you know. Yeah, when he's. <laughs> You're also collaborative. How do you bring the, um, how do you bring that collaborative, let's work together approach into your graduate program so not so competitive and tight and dressed? Mm. Good question. These are questions that Wendy ponders at night and they keep her up, <laughs> but she does an excellent job in the execution of them. I think uh, I think we benefit from the fact that um, this is a newer program. Uh, we all came from around the country mm-hmm. for the explicit purpose of trying to do it differently um, mm-hmm. the, when the original faculty came together. And so in order to make something new, uh, or a little bit different. Um, we all had to really uh, collaborate. Um, we had to talk a lot. Um, I mean, we've been in business five years. We're on curriculum number three um, because you keep looking for the ways in which you can do it better. And nobody can do that by themselves. And I think we all recognize that we need one another and one another's um, specialties and and passions that are different from our own uh, in order to make that work. Um, When I hired the clinical faculty, um, I looked explicitly for people who had very different approaches to life and areas of interest. And Tim definitely falls into the very different category. Um, (laughs) In the most wonderful way. In the most wonderful way. Uh, So that that we could all really benefit from one another. Uh, And I think as long as you keep that attitude of someone knows more than you do, uh, talk to them and you'll know more then uh, then we can make it work. So it's it's really been fascinating to watch this group kind of grow and come together and learn um, about where their where their place is in the grand scheme of making it better. Um, Tim brings a lot of the goofiness and he challenges us every day on the the details, particularly regarding dysphagia. And I think that's um, it's it's important. It's not just important. It's critical. It's critical to the success of of staying on top of what needs to happen with education uh, in these areas because it's not the education we had. Uh, it shouldn't be the education we had. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I can say that I, I was in one of Jerry Logeman's very first classes on dysphagia, uh, where we spent as much time learning how to start dysphagia programs as we did learning about dysphagia, uh, because it was so early in the game. And now I have Tim out there teaching these students how to measure discrete components of the swallow to determine if if we're talking about typical or not typical uh, before you even get into, all right, well, now what are we going to do about it? Um, so that there's there's not so much overdiagnosing, all the other kinds of things that have gone on in dysphagia as we've gone over through the years. So yeah, there's been, um, man, within the past 10 years, there's been so much coming to the surface um, that exemplifies the or evidences the need for us to really uh, give greater depth to dysphagia management in particular. Um, so, you know, as being fairly relevant to a, to a medical background or a medical setting, um, that's just something that I, I am very passionate about. There have been a lot of very smart people who have done some excellent research to show um, that we've we've got to do better in that area. And so we're really trying to put our hearts into it and to put our our, our minds into it and to think through how we can um, how we can you know be the the change or be a catalyst for the change that we need. Mm-hmm. I love your energy though. I just I love the energy and I love the it's just the excitement you guys bring and I'm sure your students carry that forward. I would certainly hope so. I I think we're successful if we send them out there trying to keep learning uh, Mm -hmm. and keep doing it better. That's that's Mm -hmm. the ultimate success, uh, I think, for a student is to go forward and keep trying to do it better. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Lifelong skill. Mm -hmm. And have fun. Yeah, that's the key to this field. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So. So I know we're coming on. This is one of the series, A Day in the Life of a Medical SLP, but all three of us are professors. Mm -hmm. Do you mind if we just kind of segue into A Day in the Life of an SLP Professor? Yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. So This is is your show. We will apply. Students are like, oh, I know you're so, I know you're so busy, Professor. And I'm like, yes, I am. But I can definitely make time for you. If not right now, how about at 335? You know what I mean? So tell us how your days roll out. <laughs> Take a typical day, a, a oh, day or a clinical day. Maybe they're all the same for you. They're all the same for us, actually. Very interspersed. Um, our clinic uh, operates from eight to six every day uh, on campus. And the classes happen in and around clinic and clinic happens in and around the classes. So Whenever our students are not in a class, they are available, as far as we're concerned, for a client assignment. Um, so we, we jump back and forth all day long between classroom teaching, uh, labs, and clinical supervision um, in our clinic. So I think uh, something you said a minute ago, you know, when the students say, you know, can you, do you have a few minutes? You say, maybe not right now, but later. You know, the students uh, very often come to us and say, you know, I wanted to, to meet with you, but you're so busy. And, and we have to keep telling them that's not your problem. Of right. course, we're busy. We're tremendously busy, but that's not your problem. If you have something you need, you need to let us know so we can figure out a way to help meet that need. Um, so I think 
free time doesn't exist, uh, but there's always time uh, for the students. That's true. Very true. Free time particularly doesn't exist for Wendy because <laughs> she has... <laughs> she has high aspirations as far as what she's doing. Um, you know, I really think that one of the main things that I can emphasize about this is it's a journey in planning and critical thinking and thinking, you know, getting in the mind first to, to, to try to design and implement what is best to try to reflect on what you're doing and try to continually make sure that you have, that we have a plan, um, for, you know, the best practice and, and, and clinical practice and teaching and education that we can have. Um, and then a lot of the other stuff falls into place. I mean, I can't, I have no idea how much time, uh, Wendy and Linda Spencer and all the other original have spent on curriculum design and just like trying to figure this stuff out. Like what's the best way to do this? Mm -hmm. And then within the curriculum design, like what's the best way to teach this teaching methods and so on. Um, I've learned a tremendous amount from, from that, but I think that, you know, we are thinking individuals and that's, that's the core of everything that we do. We've got to figure stuff out. We've got to continually improve. Um, and then we, you know, live it out in our practice. And so I think that's particularly true in, graduate school or in, in any type of higher education that we're trying to, we're shaping our field with the things that we do. We're um, establishing credibility. We're taking care of our patients. And so we really have to think critically in how we do that and how we teach other people to do that, which is, I think, just at the core of, of mm -hmm. education in this field. Yeah, I think on a more um, granular level, um, I will uh, meet with students uh, and we will talk about their lesson plans and we will, I will ask questions uh, like, what's your rationale for that? <laughs> uh, the students tease me because I'm constantly saying, what else? What else? What else? See if I can't get them to think a little bit um, deeper uh, on whatever the subject is. We have group supervision, we have individual supervision, and we have clients who are either in the clinic or on telepractice. Um, we do do both. We have, I don't know, we're about 75, 25 right now uh, in the clinic and 25% still telepractice, but we were doing telepractice before the pandemic. We'll keep doing it after the pandemic because um, it's the right method of treatment for for many patients, uh, works really well for a lot of my particular caseload right now, which is transgender voice. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I do that as well. Yep. So um, we're working with students in a different way each semester, depending on where they are in their continuum of development. So it's semester three for our clinic students, which means we expect more self-assessment, more ability to advocate for their own needs as a supervisee to get them ready to go off campus in the fall for their externship semesters. Um, so a lot of our supervision and supervisory practices this summer are a little different than they were in semesters one and two um, because the students need to be at a little bit different, different place uh, in their ability to work with off-campus supervisors and in different work settings. And so we do that. Uh, we read soap notes and, and co-sign them. And um, Tim works with his diagnostic team 
Uh, so the students uh, get assigned to diagnostic teams with the different faculty. And so whoever's on the caseload for evaluations that week on each supervisor's caseload, then they have to prepare their assessment plans and write the reports. And then uh, supervisors need to read them and critique them and send them back again and again and review tests. And um, and we have a pretty robust lab schedule. So a lot of our day is putting labs together. We just had trach two labs last week um, where the students had to identify the parts and components of 12 different types of trach tubes. And they had to practice doing trach care on the mannequin and, and, and all of that is preparation time. And so it's, it's a lot of different activities. Uh, and then we go to committees. So Tim's on the interprofessional education committee. Uh, and works on our IPE events um, and setting up the cases for that. And so it's a lot of different things each day. And in somewhere in there, you try and fit in reading about what's going on in the world of speech pathology and what's new and shooting off articles to one another saying, look at this, look at this. And we do do a lot of that um, for one another. Definitely do. Definitely do. We take good advantage of each other as resources just because of, I mean, not just because of, but particularly because of the, the time constraints that we have from other demands. And, um, you know, if one of us has just really dug deep into some recent literature, then we can converse about it and everyone else benefits from that. So it's really helpful. One of the things that Wendy said that I think is just um, a paramount importance. She talked about like meeting students where they are, depending on which semester they're in. So changing our expectations for them, and particularly in this semester, going for self-advocacy, um, you know, big transition between undergrad and graduate school, where undergrad, there's a lot of guidance. Um, you know, you just kind of come in and you do the thing and you get a good grade and whatever, and try to get into grad school, you compete with all these other people to try to get a place we're in graduate school. Um, we want to not just teach them information, but we want to teach them to reflect and self-advocacy so they can become these clinicians who can go out and not just, you know, be automatrons, but they can go out and, and learn to examine their practice and learn to advocate for their patients and try to continually develop and become better. And so that sort of teaching that thinking process um, is is unique, I guess, because it's not just knowledge. It's kind of teaching a mindset of, of self-reflection and, and so on, which has you know, really been interesting. You sound like you have a very comprehensive program. It's expansive. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> but I think, you know, we're constantly learning from what we're doing uh, and, and fixing it again. It, like I said, we're we're on curriculum number three. Um, we just can't let it lie and be what it is. Uh, you have to look at what works, uh, what doesn't work with the students. Um, we do this thing uh, where the supervise the faculty meet each week um, to do either reflective supervision meetings or supervisory practices education. Um, so we're constantly trying to improve the way that we supervise Wonderful. Uh, the students. And we're more successful some days than others, for sure. 
Um, but there's so much to learn even within that context. So much to explore about how we look at educating students and how we look at supervising students and uh, what team, what needs to change uh, at each point along their continuum uh, of development so that they can come out as um, critically thinking individuals that that will make make a difference um, and not rest on this is the way I've always done it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's the worst phrase in the world. <laughs> right. So, right. Um, yeah. What has been a challenge teaching? Did you say what has been a challenge teaching? What has been a challenge? Mm-hmm. Ooh, I want you to answer this one. Never <laughs> mind. She's good at everything. Nothing. No. Yeah, that's not true. <laughs> Go ahead, though, Tim. Because, oh, dear. Tim, you know, it's interesting, Tim. I think this is the, the first couple of years where you've really had a combination of classroom teaching yeah, and sure. clinical education, uh, more direct clinical education. And it's a very different kind of experience, classroom teaching from clinical education. And yet there's so much that's the same. It, you, but you can't necessarily, you can't presume skills as a supervisor are going to translate into working as a classroom instructor. Um, so what's been the challenge, do you think, in, in transitioning those skills? From um, supervision to classroom. Well, that is an interesting question. It so there have been several things that have been a lot of work and have been challenges. I guess whenever whenever you say challenge, I'm thinking of the thing that's just the most difficult. So, I mean, as far as the work that goes into thing things, I think the curriculum design has been a a tremendous amount of work. You're stepping back, you know, when you're watching other people teach or when you're in grad school, you can easily be critical and think, oh, I would do it this way. This makes so much more sense, blah, blah, blah. But when you got to, when you have to step out and see the total picture from beginning to end or from beginning to like send you out on your own and become a lifelong learner, uh, there's just a lot that goes into it. So there's been a lot of time and collaboration that's been spent on identifying what students need to know, especially in response to you know some recent literature about SLP proficiency and, and dysphagia management and really find like the missing pieces. But that's been really fun. The missing link. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. And so, yeah, that's, that's yeah. actually a great, uh, yeah, great point. But that, that's been fun. Um, it's been challenging, but I've really enjoyed it. So, and, you know, it's a good challenge, I guess. The thing that I feel like I'm still, um, maybe the, the hardest part for me in general is I, um, you know, I'm very, I'd say very extroverted, very conversational. Like I love talking with people and I love the feedback that I get in conversation and and that sort of thing. And so, you know, many of the classes that I work with, I love for them to be discussion style. And so sometimes the students, if they've just had multiple classes before or just burn out, um, it can be sometimes can be challenging to get that engagement that you like. And so I have to not let that um, you know, I have to be consistent no matter what, because you can you can do a lot, but you can't change the behavior of, of other people. We've had, so with the caveat, we've had um, really tremendous engagement with our students. They, they have just, 
excelled in discussion, particularly this year, I think, because they realized with COVID what they've missed out on. Um, I've never, never worked with students who are this engaging and conversational in class, and that's been terrific. Um, but still, the challenge can be is uh, getting a, eliciting the type of response from those with whom you're working that, that you are looking for and that you desire because there are just so many other factors in their lives and in their schedules that go into that. So that's that's been my biggest challenge, I would say. We're coming up towards the end of our time, and I have two more questions. What has been just a joy with your program? Because I hear it coming through. What have you so enjoyed as your job as faculty and in teaching these new speech pathologists as they move forward into their careers? Okay, can I go first? Yeah, go for it. Thanks. Okay, so the fun part for me is that in this, this is the first um, university position I've had where we've really gotten to embrace a lot more um, simulation experiences or hands-on experiences in that first year. Um, so we go over to the acute care hospital, we work with the high-tech mannequins, we put the students over there um, four times in their first year to do some things that allow them to really explore how they work together with their team and communicate with one another and then also be in that environment. And that was a huge learning curve for me and for the rest of the faculty. So to design those events from scratch and build the, the models and, and create all of the, you know, parameters for how the, the things change on the monitors and with the mannequin every, you know, 30 or 60 seconds throughout the, the sim. Uh, learning how to do all of that uh, has been just fascinating, um, challenging. But I love the fact that we get to see the students practice their thinking in real time in an environment in which uh, they're going to eventually practice. Uh, and so that's been a really fun component mm -hmm. of this program for me. Mm. I thought you were going to say that. Working with Tim was the best part yeah. of this experience. <laughs> I'm a little taken back. <laughs> that's what brings the joy. It's working with Tim. <laughs> Well, what can I say? What can I say? Um, my favorite part, man, there are lots of favorite parts. Um, one of my favorite parts, though, is, is definitely the, the environment and people that I work with. Um, a lot of, not to be cliche, but a lot of growth mindset. Um, a lot of friendliness and embracing innovation and genuine concern for students and genuine concern for uh, pursuing further knowledge in the field. So I love that. I love being able to work on revising our practice patterns and our curriculum without such extensive bureaucracy that allows us to adapt quickly and, and to make changes. I love working with students. I love it when you, you get a student who this may not have been their area of interest, and then they work with a patient with aphasia or they work you know, they're in the dysphagia ma management classroom and they're just like, this is really cool. And, and you can see that develop, that passion develop. That's probably my favorite part. That's really cool. I would agree. Being there when that moment, when that 
Mm-hmm. Aha. Yeah. That aha moment. Mm-hmm. And you know, they're going to step in and make a difference in the lives of those they work with. Mm-hmm. And then we say job well done. Yep. Exactly. For I, for us. I agree. I just, you know, before I said I had two questions, that was one of them. I forgot I want to double back, Kim. I'm deciding where I'm going to go with my career right now. I have a master's and I've been accepted to an educational doctoral program. Oh, wow. And I'm also thinking maybe a clinical doctor because I'm just not sure where I want to go. How did you make the decision to step into the clinical versus a PhD, for example? And I know, Wendy, you're doing your PhD. Um. I, the PhD wouldn't be feasible for me right now. Just too much other stuff going on. I I have a couple of small kids and my family moved out to Utah away from everybody. Um, And they, you know, they need a lot of time uh, with that. I would love to have the knowledge that you would get in a PhD program. Um, It's just it's not feasible right now. Uh, the SLPD, you know, all the programs are different and depending on where you go, I, there's, there's seems to be a good fit for everybody and just picking what is most congruent with your, with your goals and, and so on. Um, I wanted to attain a, a higher degree. I wanted to learn more and I wanted to do something that would facilitate my ability to, to work in, in academia. Um, and so that's, you know, that's mostly it. But I was constrained by the inability to to really commit to a PhD. Wendy, you're shaking your head. Right. Wendy, <laughs> well, can do it all. you know, I'm I'm old, uh, and so I had all the same <laughs> older. constraints. Older, I had all the same constraints that Tim did when I was younger. I certainly have always wanted uh, continued formal higher education, um, but. You know, I had to I had to push my kids out of the house. So once they left, uh, then I had an opportunity. And I think for me, I'm actually in um, a health professions education uh, program for my PhD. So it's not a speech program, um, and I'm in a cohort with uh, other healthcare professionals, um, all working towards improving healthcare education. And for me, that's exactly the right fit at this point in my life to work on um, ways to make education better uh, for our healthcare professionals and speech pathology in particular. So for me, it really fit what my interests were and the opportunity was there. Um, I've got my youngest just graduated from college, so I can, uh, I can focus on some of these things and uh, yeah. I think I would have loved to have done this when I was a little younger, but it just wasn't wasn't an option. Um, so for me, it's the right thing. Um, I I would have loved the SLPD as well, mm-hmm. um, but I think I would have had been more clinically focused in terms of a patient population, and I much rather study the students <laughs> how they learn. Um, so, yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks. So in the few remaining minutes we have left, what words of wisdom would each of you have for the student who's just graduated and is ready to start, or the students who have just graduated and are ready to start their clinical fellowships? What's words of success would you have? Do not fake it until you make it. You hear that sometimes in grad school because there is an overwhelming amount of information and skills to learn. Um, 
that makes for shallow practitioners and that doesn't help our patients in the way that we need to. Um, we really need to emphasize critical thinking and, and asking why and not being overconfident in our skills. Uh, being self-aware of ourselves as, as practitioners, knowing what we can do better and being okay with not knowing the answer, but having a, a set of resources that we can go to to try to find those things. It's never okay to make crap up. I'm sorry, I just say crap on the air. It's, it's, never okay. <laughs> it's never okay to make stuff up. You know, we want to do our best and that really necessitates that we know our limitations. We, we strive to become better all the time but we, we don't fake it. Our patients deserve better. Everybody deserves better. You need to be authentic and vulnerable and, uh, and willing to, you know, to, to step up to try to become better, but not overestimating our, our own abilities. Well, that's interesting because what I was going to say was um, know your resources and use them. You, you don't know everything. You won't know everything. You can't have seen or done everything in graduate school. It's, it's absolutely impossible but you should know how to access your resources. Uh, and that's the most important thing you can do in your CF. Call your friends, your peers know all kinds of things. They had different experiences than you did. Call your old professors, um, call your CF supervisor, go to the ASHA practice portal, <laughs> try and teach the students, start there. It's a really good place to start. Find a um, yeah. Uh, so access your resources. Don't be afraid to be wrong. Don't be afraid to not know. Um, very much what, what Tim has just said. You can't succeed until you recognize that you need to know more. Um, think it through and, and you'll do okay. And be nice to people. Yeah. Totally. Yes. Collaboration and teamwork are, are key. Yeah. Don't any, anywhere you're employed, um, be nice to everybody. Don't treat the doctors better than you treat the cafeteria workers. Don't treat, don't treat people decently. Treat everybody well. Um, you know, we all support each other and we all serve an important role in the, in the grander scheme of, scheme of things. Uh, I just, yeah, I think the, the people component is a really big deal and it'll make you enjoy what you do so much more when you, when you go someplace and, mm -hmm. you know, can smile and wave and, and have conversation with, with whoever you meet. That's a great note to end on. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you for having well, us. Thank you. We this enjoyed was, the conversation. Absolutely.